Good morning. Glad all of you have joined us today, those of you that are regularly with us, and some of you are here just for the child dedication today, and that's fantastic, and really glad that you're here with us today. It's an exciting day, I, not only because of child dedication, but I feel like this is going to be our last day of rain. <laughs> Think? Can, can wishing make that happen? Does that, it doesn't work that way, does it? It's something about you know, ocean currents or something. But uh, yeah, so I don't know about that. But I know that, you know, we have kids that are in school and it feels like we are getting closer and closer to summer. It feels like it is right on top of us. The warmer days are coming, sunny skies are coming, and that's an exciting time of year. So I'm curious, by the way, because we are getting up toward the end of the school year. How many of you are students here in school? How many of you are students? Are you excited about the end of the year coming? Well, I guess we should just keep going. You just want to tell, oh, how many of you work in, uh, for a school or a teacher or homeschool or something like that? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are excited about summer? Uh, that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> that's what I thought. You know, maybe the reason, students, maybe the reason you're not so excited about the end of the year is because summer isn't actually here yet, is it? No, before you get to summer, what do you have to do? The exams, right? You have EOGs and EOCs, and you have, you have spent this entire year learning, just soaking up information, and now you get to show what actually stuck, if anything actually stuck, right? And how, how it st- stuck. You get an opportunity. Let's look at it this way. You get an opportunity right now to prove how much you've grown over this past year. Hopefully. (laughs) Depends on how the test is written, I suppose. Right? You've got all this information. You've learned all of this stuff. Now the question is, not only what do you remember, but now the question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? As we've been going through this study, we've been in a study of Romans for, this is week 26. So we started... um, We started, like when school started last fall, it's going to take us all the way up until school ends um, this spring, and we got 20, I know I've been saying it's 30 weeks long, it's not, okay? It's 29 weeks long, so not that bad, all right? Um, But anyway, so we're in in week 26, we've got a couple more left, we've been going all the way through Romans, and we have learned a ton, we've learned a ton, and, and, and clarified what the good news is, what the gospel is. We've taken in a lot of information, and I will, first of all, I want to say thank you to those of you that have taken this so seriously, because we've not only been studying and, um, and teaching on the weekend, at the weekend service when we get together, but you've been gathering in groups during the week and doing studies and diving in deeper and talking about application and looking at other scriptures and other things that we didn't have time to get to on the weekend, and I know you've taken that really, really seriously. So now the question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with this now that we know it? Now that we know that, that justification, this is the, Paul, the term Paul uses, justification or being made right before God, securing our eternal destiny, all right, justification comes by faith in Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ alone, not in works of any kind. There's nothing you or I can do to earn justification before God. We can't be good enough. We're not good. And so, but If we trust in Jesus for salvation, his death on the cross and his resurrection, if we trust him for salvation, if we trust him to save us rather than trying to save ourselves, then we can be justified before God. We know that. We know that now. And then Paul talks about salvation, which is a little confusing because he doesn't use that word the same way we do. 
When we say salvation, we're talking usually about justification, and that's fine. But when he uses the word salvation, he's talking about deliverance now, here and now, being saved from the wrath of God here against sin and now. We might use the term sanctification or spiritual growth and maturity, all right? So when he says salvation, he makes it very clear to us, and we know this now, salvation also doesn't come by works of the law, all right? Just like justification doesn't come by works of the Old Testament law, neither does salvation come by works of the law. Salvation comes by the work of the Spirit in our life. All right, trying to live as a Christian based on a set of rules, a rule book, a law, or an order will only lead us to uh, captivity. It will only lead us to, to weight on our shoulder and frustration. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. He says, I know the good I ought to do and I don't do it. The very thing that I hate, I do. He's talking about trying to live and grow as a Christian in a lawful mindset or, or a, a um, uh, legalistic mindset. No, salvation comes by pursuing, actively pursuing the spirit and his leadership in our life as he transforms us into the image of Jesus, the glorious image of Jesus, a process that begins now and will be complete one day. And so we know that salvation now, discipleship now comes by following the spirit and walking in the spirit. And him using the scripture, him using uh, our times of prayer, him using things in our life, people in our life to help mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus. We know that. That's great news, right? We know that now. We know that, uh, we know that God's promises are true, whether that's a promise to the church that those that put their faith in Jesus will be justified before God whether that's the promise that the Spirit will be with us or the promises that he made to Israel that he will fulfill. That's Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. He will be faithful to Israel, and so he will be faithful to all the promises that he makes, and we can be confident in that. So we know we can be justified through Jesus. We know we can be saved through the Spirit. We know that, we can, uh, that God will fulfill his promises, whether that's to us or Israel. That's great news. And then we also learn that it's important that we learn how to live in harmony with one another. That as we are all on this journey and we're all growing and we're all at different places. Some of us have been doing this for years and have had great teaching. Some of us have been doing this for years and had sketchy teaching. Right? There are some, some, of, some of you may be brand new as a Christian, but you had really great, really great teaching and great influence in your life. Some of you may be brand new in, as a Christian, but you haven't had any teaching or any influence from Christians in your life. We're all over the place, and we're all learning, and there are things that we understand and things that we don't understand, and we need to have grace for each other as we do that. All right, grace and uh, an acceptance in debatable things. And, and I want to make that clear. We've been talking about that over the last few weeks, that what Paul is talking about in the last couple chapters were debatable things. Now, on the clear elements, clear principles of Scripture, the clear truths of morality and such in the Scripture, we need to have unity on those things, and be, but be gracious with each other as we're learning. Okay, so this is all good news, and we have learned all of this. But now the question is, and, if, and let me just throw in, if you feel like you're not solid on any of those things or you want to know more or maybe you're joining us, maybe you're here for the first time because you have a child that's being dedicated and you want to see that or whatever and you're curious about that, it's, all of that is available online. You can go. And if you want to know what message, you know, what topic is what message or whatever, I'll help you out and let you know when that is. But, um, but now that we know this, now that we have this information, what are we going to do with it? We have it, and it's transforming us, and we're learning, and we're getting more solid in who we are and who God is and what our relationship with him is. But what are we going to do with it? 
And that's where Paul, as he begins to land the plane in Romans, what he's going to begin talking about today in Romans, in the middle of Romans chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 15. We will have it on the screen for you if you don't have a way to read today. Though I would encourage you to bring a print Bible with you or to bring up the, an app on your uh, mobile device. Um, I know we'll have it on the screen and it's easy to read it there, but there's something about getting comfortable with having the Bible open in front of you that will make it more comfortable for you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. All right, you won't have screens on Thursday. So, well, set the one in your hand, right? <laughs> so uh, head to Romans chapter 15. And uh, Paul says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. I love this statement. He's just spent a long time talking about a lot of things in Romans. And as he's beginning his finish here, he says, hey, but listen, I want you to know, I think you got a good handle on this. I think you're on the right track. So stay on it. You know this and you've got it and you're gonna do, you're gonna do a great job with it. This is something he did often. I don't think this is contrived in any way. I don't think it's a setup in any way. I think he legitimately is looking at the Christians in Rome, both Jews and Gentiles, and saying, hey, I know you already know this. I haven't told you anything you don't already know, but I'm just solidifying it for you. And he is convinced. He said, I'm confident concerning you. I love it. And I have to say, from my perspective, as we've gone through this series and we've studied Romans together, I feel exactly the same way as Paul does. As I've seen you change and seen you grow and heard you talking about how God is transforming your mind and your life and your relationships as we've been going through Romans, I want to say to you the same thing that Paul said to the Romans, that I am confident concerning you, that you are full of goodness, you are filled with all knowledge, and you are able to admonish one another. So keep it up. All right, verse 15. He says, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you. I love that little phrase that he throws in. He said, I know I was bold on some stuff. I know you already know it. Don't worry. I trust you with it. I know you already know. But I was bold as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is the, the reason I've talked so boldly about some things, particularly one of the main reasons Paul is writing Romans is because he wants, even though he knows that they understand the gospel, they understand the gospel. Sorry about that. You should be comfortable with that. That's a middle school moment. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> wife works in middle school. Second time my voice is cracked today. I don't know what's going on, but um, you can't say that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I lost track. We're going to get back. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> right, so he says, I've, 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 his, his primary purpose in writing Romans is he wants, to, for lack of better terms, he wants the, both the Jews, the Jewish Christians in Rome, and also the Gentile Christians in Rome to have a firm understanding of the gospel and be able to coexist with one another. And that was a major problem in many of the letters that Paul wrote, many of the letters of the New Testament, are about division or frustration or issues that were existing between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians because the Jewish Christians had this whole history of the law. They had this whole history of faith with God, and the Gentiles did not. And when those two things converged, it created a lot of 
lot of things going on. And so he wanted them to be on the same page. And he says, the reason I wrote so strongly about this stuff is because my calling is to minister to the Gentiles. In fact, he uses priestly language. He says, he says, in fact, I see it as my responsibility to offer the Gentiles as a sacrifice to God, as a, as a priest would offer a sacrifice to God. He takes his responsibility to them so, so seriously. Uh, he wants to, he takes it seriously. He uses the priestly language. His ministry is an act of worship to God. And he said, this is my passion. And that's why I've been strong on a few things here. Because this is where my heart is. This is where my calling is. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And Paul really wanted to see the Gentiles come into the church with the Jewish believers and for them to become one body together with no division, no arguing, no, none of that. No comparing, no, no positioning or posturing, none of that stuff. He wanted them to become one body together because he had love, he had compassion and calling really to both. Paul if you don't know his story, Paul um, was a Roman citizen by birth, but grew up as a Jew and ultimately became a very zealous Pharisee or religious leader, an expert in the law. He was so zealous, in fact, that he was persecuting members of the way. That's what they were called before they were called Christians. Uh, members of the way, people who trusted in Jesus. And so he was persecuting them actively. He was one of the worst. He was there when the apostle Stephen, or, uh, Stephen was stoned to death. Paul was there approving of it. In fact, Paul had gone to the religious leaders in Jerusalem and asked permission to go to Damascus and to persecute Christians there. He said, let me go there and I'll gather up everybody who's part of the way and I'll bring them back to Jerusalem to face the consequences. And so he was on his way to the city to persecute Christians, to actively round them up, arrest them, and bring them back to, to Jerusalem when he met Jesus, or when Jesus met him. Might be a better way to say that. And he saw a blinding light, and it blinded him, and he said, who is that? And he said, it's Jesus whom you're persecuting. And so he goes to a man's house, and he's there for a bit until finally the blindness is removed, and it falls like scales from his eyes. And he gives his whole entire life in, to Jesus. And he begins ministering. And the first thing it says he did was he went to the synagogues to preach. So the first thing he did was go to the Jews. And any time that he went to town, he went, if he went to Ephesus, if he went to Philippi, if he went to wherever, the first thing he always did was go to the synagogue and reason with the Jews. He had a heart and he had a passion for them. But on top of that, and he, he was one of them, on top of that, God had gave him this great calling and ministry to the Gentiles. So he would go there first, but then he would expand the ministry out from there. And he wanted all to be together as one in one body. And I think in a lot of ways, Paul could relate to the Gentiles because when, when the gospel was first preached and it was clear that, that this message was open to all people, that faith in Jesus is the way to be justified, when this was clear and that it was open to both Jew and Gentile, the Gentiles were not quickly welcomed into the church. The Jews were skeptical of the Gentiles. The Jews were telling the Gentiles that you had to do all of it. You got to get circumcised, you know, and you got you to gotta eat like we eat and you got to dress like we dress and you have to follow the, the feasts and the festivals and the Sabbath and all the days and everything like we do. And so they brought them in and were making it very difficult. They had to have a whole powwow about that in Jerusalem, all right, uh, called the Jerusalem Council. So they, were, there was a pro they weren't quickly accepted. And Paul and his ministry was also not quickly accepted. You can imagine. 
This was the guy who had terrorized members of the way. And all of a sudden, he's converted, and he's a follower of Jesus, and now all of a sudden, he's preaching and going to the synagogues. They were the, early, the, the, the apostles in the early church were not quick to welcome Paul in. They were skeptical of him, and he had to ultimately be brought in and welcomed in with open arms. And he wants to see for the Gentiles the same thing that was done for him, for those arms to be open and to be welcomed in. And so that's what he wants to see. And he is so proud of what he had experienced. All right, let's keep going in verse um, 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the powers of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all around as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul said, my calling has been to the Gentiles, and I got to tell you this straight up. I am proud of what he's done. I think in our effort to be humble, we can sometimes shy away because we don't want to be proud of ourselves. Paul isn't saying he's proud of himself. We don't want to be proud of ourselves, but he is proud of what God has done. He is proud of it, and we too should be proud of what God has done, what God has done through us and in us, what we've seen happen in our life, the opportunities that he's given to us, not to our credit at all, but to his credit fully. And he is confident. He looks at his ministry, and he said, I have fully preached the gospel. And God has done incredible things in signs, in wonders. Everything that I've seen has been unbelievable. And I'm so proud of the ministry that he has given to me. And I hope that you can look at your life in the same way Paul looks at his life and say, I am proud of what God has done through me in the ministry he's given to me. I, think, I, I feel like I can say that I am proud of what God has done in me. I'm proud of what God has done through me. I am proud of what God has done through you and through this church. It is unbelievable to be a part of it and see it and experience it and to know that he is doing all of it. So to him be the glory for all of it. It's unbelievable. And Paul is looking at this beauty that God has, and not easy, by the way, not easy by a long shot, but the beauty in the wake of the ministry that God has given to him. And it's amazing. It's incredible. He says, verse 20, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. That's from Isaiah 52. He said, so my call is not only to the Gentiles, but my calling is to unreached Gentiles. My calling is to find the people who have not heard about Jesus yet, that have not heard the gospel yet, and to tell them. It's a tremendous ministry. I heard one, uh, or read one author this week who compared it to the early settlers or the pioneers, Lewis and Clark, trailblazers. When you come over the mountain and you see something you have never seen before, to chart a new path and a new course, and and that when Paul was doing his ministry, that is much what he was doing. Blazing new trails, finding unreached people and sharing the gospel with them. What a blessing. What an incredible opportunity it is. 
Um, when I was in high school, I, I told you earlier, I was talking about youth leaders and whatever. I was in youth group in my church in high school, and we did all the youth group things, <laughs> including mission trips. And um, we took a mission trip to Peru. And I got to tell you, I wouldn't say that at 17 years old, I was like gospel driven in that mission trip. There was a girl that I liked that was going on the mission trip. And I thought there was going to be a great opportunity to spend some time with her. All right. Didn't work out. I found a better one. But it's anyway. (laughs) But we had an opportunity. So I went on the trip, really, I'm probably selfish reasons. Some of my friends were going and all that. But the experiences that I had on that trip changed the way I thought about how I was going to live my life. Particularly when we first got there, we spent, um, it was in Peru, and we were on the coast of Peru. And the coast of Peru is fairly developed. That's where the big cities are. And there were churches there, and people kind of knew about Christianity, or they understood Catholicism, or, you know, whatever. And so there was a frame of reference. And so we were doing evangelistic things. We were doing, we we're singing songs in, I think it's, is it Spanish in Peru? Spanish? Okay, I don't, I can't, I don't know whether it's Portuguese or Spanish. We, we were singing in a language I didn't understand, but we were singing in a language they understood. And um, so we were doing that. We were doing evangelistic stuff. But then one day we piled into a bus and we drove away from the cities and we drove inland up into the mountains of Peru. And we're weaving through these mountains and these mountain roads. And all of a sudden we came around through this pass. And in the middle of all of these mountains was this plateau, this elevated plateau. And there was this fairly large city sitting there. But it was like, you know, it, there were no skyscrapers, of course. It was mud houses. It was, it was shacks and that kind of thing. And we came into town, and they had, there was a spot in the middle of town, like a, like a forum or like a plaza or whatever, um, kind of the central part of town. And we were allowed to come in with our bus. And you know the bus brought everybody, you know, to, uh, the kids particularly. And we did our thing we had been doing, and realized that a lot of these people had never heard of Jesus before. They had, they, had never, they had never had the gospel clearly shared with them. And when it was, you could see, it was like they lit up. And we had people responding to Jesus and giving their life to Jesus. And then there was, there was a couple men in town that we, we talked with and some of the leaders and missionaries that were with us spent time with them to help train and talk about how to share the Bible, how to read that we brought Bibles with us. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And all of a sudden, this world opened up to me that had never existed before. Because where I grew up, even though there were very few Christians in Western New York where I grew up, even though there were very few evangelical Christians, everybody, for the most part, knew who Jesus was. Some frame of reference. But to see somebody who had never heard before, And there are still people in the world that have never heard of Jesus. The gospel has not gotten to them. And so maybe you would be called, as Paul was called, to go to the unreached, to give your life to God as a missionary, to take the gospel to a place it is not yet. And if you make that commitment with your life, it is going to be the hardest thing you could ever do in your life but I can guarantee you it will be the most rewarding thing you could give your life to. And so for some of you, that may be the call 
the same way it is, was for Paul. To say, what am I going to do with the gospel now that I understand it? And the answer for you may be, take it to people who've never heard it before. Paul said, all right, uh, verse 22, he said, For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you. And what he means is, the reason I haven't come to Rome yet is because I know you guys have a pretty good foundation on this, and I know that you're, I trust you. You know, I'm confident in you. He just said that. So I've been spending my time elsewhere. I've been spending my time with people who haven't heard yet. And so I haven't been able to get to, and I want to get there, but I haven't been able to because I've been where I am. But the Christians in Rome, what's their call? Paul's call is to take the gospel to the unreached. Their call is to take the gospel to their city, right where they are. And even though you may have a call to go somewhere else and be a missionary and to take the gospel there, the vast majority of Christians are called to take the gospel right where they are. The relationships and influences that you already have in the place that God has already planted you. And here's the thing about our community. All right, we are, I told you I grew up in Western New York and there weren't a whole lot of evangelical Christians, a lot of Catholics, not very many evangelical Christians there. I moved here to North Carolina. It's different. I don't know if you know that. I, and my, my first job, I'm not kidding, the first job was with the United Way here in, uh, in uh, Rowan County. I worked there for three years. And uh, we had a, a, a board of directors meeting. I was fresh out of college. You know, I didn't really understand much anything. And I was just trying to get some experience and make some connections. And um, so I go into the board meeting, and uh, somebody gets up at the beginning of the board meeting and prays. Me, my naive Western New York kid was like, I'm like, I'm waiting for the ACLU to pull on the, like, I was like, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. Well, it turns out in Rowan County, you can't. So anyway, I figured out real quick, it was different here than where, where I had grown up. And I mean, churches on every corner. And here's the thing, in our community here, everybody, I, I dare say everybody, has some frame of reference for Jesus. Some frame of reference for Jesus, which is great because it's a starting point. Okay, you would have to be a hermit to not be exposed to Jesus in any way where we live. I mean, you can't, I can't drive anywhere without passing 10 churches. So you at least are going to be curious what's going on in those places, right? Everybody has some frame of reference for Jesus. And so it is getting harder and harder, if not impossible, to find unreached people here. But it is getting easier and easier to find unpreached people here. People who have a frame of reference for Jesus, but it's wrong. And they think they know about him, but they don't know him. Or they think they know what it means to be a Christian, and they don't know what it means to be a Christian. There are people surrounding us every single day. There, there are people that might even check that box on a form, but they don't know much, if anything, about what it actually means to follow Jesus. They are gospel adjacent, but they do not understand the gospel. They're in it. They're next to it. It's the person who sits at the, the, the desk next to you in school or across the lunch table from you. It's your own family member. It's your, it's your coworker or your boss or your employee. It's your neighbor at the house next door. 
and they're surrounded by Jesus, but they don't know him. They've heard of the gospel, but they don't know what it is. They don't know what it really is. They're, they're, they're gospel adjacent when it comes to justification before God. They think or what they've heard or been told or seen in the media or seen from Christians is that the way to be right before God is to be a good person or to do the things the Bible says to do. So as long as I go to church this percentage of time or I pray this many days a week or I read this much scripture in a year or I check that box on the form or I say the right things, as long as I give enough to the church or as long as I give enough to charity or as long as I'm a decent person and I don't cuss and I don't steal and I don't do anything illegal, as long as I'm good, as long as I'm good enough and I cross whatever that imaginary threshold is somebody has drawn somewhere, as long as I'm good enough, then I'll be with God forever. And that's not the gospel. They don't know the gospel. The gospel is that you're not good and I'm not good. We are not good enough and never can be to earn a spot with God. So thank God the good news is Jesus came and gave his life for us to do for us what we can't. And that we have to put our trust in Jesus for salvation and stop trying to do it ourselves. And only then can we really be free to become the person that he wants us to be. And so we have people all around us, they think they know Jesus, they think they know the gospel, but they know the wrong one. And it's not good news. (laughs) The good news is that Jesus gave his life for us and that he is the only way to be made right. There are people that are there, they, they, they've heard of Jesus, but they think that there are other ways to be made right in front of God. Whether that's being a good person or whether it's some other religious system, whatever religious system, whatever code or whatever it is that tells you how to be a good person or whatever, whatever sacrifices you would make or, or donations or whatever else. And they think that, that, well, you know, everybody find their own way. Problem is, we can't find our own way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. But that's good news because everyone can come to the Father through him. (laughs) That's the good news. And there are people all around us that don't know. They don't know that. They're gospel adjacent when it comes to spiritual growth and maturity. Meaning even if they have put their faith in Jesus for salvation, they think the way to be made in the image of Jesus is to follow a set of rules. And that's not it. And they live their entire life as a Christian under the weight of the law. And we are no longer under the law. We walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit uses the law, uses what we see in order to to transform us into the image of Jesus. But we're free in the Spirit to follow him in accordance with his word. We've got people who have a, uh, a legalistic version of discipleship. They think Christianity is just a list of do this and don't do this. That's not what it is. There are people who have a lazy version of discipleship in the gospel, which is, well, I'm forgiven, so whatever. I can do whatever I want, right? If I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I want. I guess you can if you want to waste your entire life. 
No, the freedom that we have in the spirit inspires us to holiness, the highest level of holiness we can reach, not a minimum standard of the law we're trying to get above. But it's the spirit drawing us into the image of Jesus more and more and more every single day, and that's good news. And it means that when we fail, there's grace. He picks us back up, and we keep going. We walk closer and closer to the image of Jesus. We have people who have a gospel-adjacent understanding They haven't seen the true gospel. That rules won't lead them to holiness, but the Spirit wants to transform them into the glorious image of Jesus day by day. Now, Paul knows all that. What's he going to do? He's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles that haven't been reached yet. That's what he's going to do, and it's what he did, and he did a pretty good job of it, by the way. There's a lot to be proud of what God did through him. So my question is... This is a question for me and for you. What are we going to do with it? Who are we going to take it to? Maybe it is to the other side of the globe, to a a, a people group that has never been reached with the gospel. Maybe it's to a different country. Maybe it's to a different state. Maybe it's the chair next to you. Who are you called? What is your gospel good news ground? What is your ground? What is your field? What is your mission field? And are you going to be able, am I going to be able to look at that like Paul did and say, you know what? I am confident that I fully preached the gospel with love and grace, sharing it and demonstrating it. And it's not a solo thing, by the way. This is a group thing. This is something that we do together. It's a personal calling and a group effort. Paul says in verse 23, but now he said, I I haven't been able to get to you because I've been going to these unreached people, but uh, now no longer having a place in these parts, which sounds like a very Southern way to say that, by the way, uh, in verse 24, now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you if first I may enjoy your company for a while. So he said, basically, my next stop is Spain. That's the next unreached group of people. That's where I'm going next. And on the way, I really want to hang out for a little while. To be encouraged by you, maybe you can help me out as I'm going to Spain. That would be great. But just to spend some time with you. Now, that wasn't a mission field necessarily. I'm sure he preached when he was there because that's what Paul did. But he said, ultimately, I'm going to Spain. That's, that's my plan. But we're doing this together. And he knows that as he encourages them, they're going to be doing their work right there in Rome like they need to. That we are partners in the gospel. We're doing this together. And you need to be able to trust that I'm doing my part to fully preach the gospel. And I need to trust that you're doing your part to fully preach the gospel where God has planted you. We, we depend on each other. We work together. He has his calling. They have their calling. And they're trusting each other to do it. Um, I think this is a really important concept. I think it's important for us to understand individually that we are working together. So it's like one body, when Paul talks about the body, one person's a hand, one person's a foot, one person's a spleen, one person's a gallbladder. You know, They serve a purpose. Nobody's the appendix. Don't be the appendix. 
all right? But, but you, we all serve a purpose. We all, we all have to trust that the other one is doing. If the hand is constantly worried about what the foot is doing, then the hand's not going to be doing what the hand's supposed to be doing. So we need to be able to trust each other. I've uh, often heard kind of in church world and the church application of this, people say, well, churches need to be united and they need to do more things together. I'm like, no, not really. Um, what churches need to do is they need to understand what their role is in the community that they're in. And they need to lean into that. And they need to trust other churches to be doing their role in the community. And we need to work as a body, as a team like that. Instead of, in a lot of cases, what happens, arguing, bickering, or pointing fingers or blame or criticism or whatever that happens between churches, I need to look at the other churches and say, hey, we're doing what we're doing. We're doing, we are confident we are doing what God called us to do. And I want want to be confident that you are doing what God called you to do. All right? And so let's work together in that way together and be partners. I was getting the the visual. I love um, doing woodworking, and I've been doing a bunch of it lately because I got a new table saw for Christmas, and I got to play. And so um, I was getting this this visual image of a dovetail joint as I was thinking. Now, I don't do dovetails because they're too complicated for me, but a dovetail joint, if you ever think of a corner of like a drawer or a box where you have, and, and I can't do it because my fingers aren't, a dovetail joint, but um, you have basically like tenons that go into openings and they cross like this and it makes an incredibly strong joint. Two pieces of wood that do their own part in their own place and when they're put together become something stronger than they were on their own and create an incredible corner that we need to dovetail with each other, which puts the onus on you and me to identify what our gospel ground is and to have the confidence to know we're covering it. If that's your family, if that's at school, if it's at work, if it's at home, it's with extended family or in your neighborhood or wherever it might be, to know we are covering our ground and have confidence in one another as we do it. That um, Parents are going to be coming up here in a little bit with their kids and making a commitment to raise their children in a way that brings honor and glory to God. They're going to be making a commitment to preach to their children. Now the children are going to make their own decisions, right? But they're going to pre- they're going to they're going to share the gospel and exemplify the gospel in their families. That's their ground. It's part of their ground. Those of you that are parents, teenagers, whatever, that's your ground first and foremost and then extends out from that. And if we're being faithful to the to the, what God has called us to do, we can look with pride not at ourselves but of what God has done through us and accomplished through us. And that's an incredible thing. So that's the question. Am I proud of the work Christ has done through me in my mission field? Have I spoken the gospel and lived the gospel as a sacrifice, as an offering to God? All right, let's pray together and make this commitment. Father, we thank you so much for... Your love, we thank you for the example of Paul and his boldness, his willingness to go against the grain and to preach to the Gentiles and to share the gospel with them. If he didn't do that 2,000 years ago, we might not be here right now. And so we thank you for his sacrifice. He should be proud of what you did through him. All honor and glory to you. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the guidance and instruction we have in Scripture, the words that you inspired Paul to write down, to share with us today, that we could be encouraged and we could be challenged 
all the words of this letter sharing with us the good news that we're made right with you through faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, that we're changed and transformed through the power, leading, teaching, comforting of the spirit, that we can have confidence that your promises are true and that you've given us each other. And that as we go on this journey together and as we learn and grow all at different places with different experiences and different histories, as you take all of us and mold us together, we want to walk in unity and love and grace, trusting you and trusting each other. We want to take this good news and we want to share it as clearly as we can, correctly as we can, with the people that you call us to. And I pray, God, for everyone who's here, that you would, for me, for everyone in the room, that you would be clarifying right now what our gospel ground is. Who you've placed in our life that you have entrusted to us. That you want us to share and display the gospel to which might be correcting misconceptions. It might be introducing for the first time. It may be setting an example of a different kind of Christian, a Christian who walks in freedom and life and hope and joy than what they've experienced before. And so whatever that ground is, wherever you've called us, God, our commitment to you is that we will be faithful. We want to be able to look on that the same way that Paul looked on it and say, I fully preached the gospel and I am so proud of what God has done through it. And so, Father, I pray that you would make that clear for everyone in the room. If there's anybody here who's hearing the gospel clearly for the first time today, and they realize for the first time that they've been trying to save themselves by good works or by religion. And you've shown them, God, today that they can't do it that way. That the only way to be made right in, in your eyes and to be forgiven is to trust in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to trust Jesus to pay for their sin. God, I pray that if they're realizing that for the first time today and they confess that to you and ask you to forgive them by faith in Jesus, that you comfort them in the knowledge that they are a child of yours wrapped up in your arms. And that in the wake of that, they also make the decision today to give their life over to you fully and to walk with you and to understand the gospel and to be transformed into the image of Jesus and to share that with as many people as they can and bring as many people along as they can. And that as we all do that together, as we take the gospel and share the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends, with our families, with the world, with strangers, that you would work through us so that when we look at it and we say, I fully preached the gospel, that we would know that it was you that did it and that all honor and glory would go to you. 
and that we, as your sons and as your daughters, as your children, would walk in unity together, would pursue this mission together, wherever it is we are called. We thank you for it, God, and we offer this eat this day to you. We pray you've been blessed by it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.